Yes. Well, happy Father's Day, man. Oh, yeah. A very happy Father's Day to you, too, David. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome. This is the inaugural, at least, test run to see if we have some things to say about our favorite television program. Exactly. We don't even have a name for this podcast yet, No, do we? we probably need to brainstorm on that. It's <laughs> the podcast with no name. Maybe all our fans can, can write in and tell us what it should be called. So our spouses, in other words. <laughs> the yeah, spouses, I think, yeah. <laughs> spouses. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah. you know, I had brainstorm ideas, you know, sort of like... Uh, Reverse the polarity podcast and stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to think <laughs> about that. Yeah, it'll have to. It'll have to be a clever. It'll have to be a clever right, one. So uh, that will reflect our our our, our mm-hmm. cleverness. Mister Clever. <laughs> Mister Clever. That's it. Yeah. So I was li- listening through some of the uh, podcasts that you were doing in Minneapolis with the uh, with the interpreters to kind of. Oh, okay. S- See where you guys left off. The on interpreters. That. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually manage to bring in Doctor Who. I think at least once. Yes, there was there was a couple, and you were. Uh, it was an interesting topic. It's sort of like, what do you do once the thing you like is now suddenly popular? That was the topic, wasn't yeah. it? I've forgotten about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, this. I mean, I think that's a problem that we've all. That certainly you and I have struggled with over a number of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when we met, I think it was like in mid-90s. It was even before the TV movie came out. It was. And so it was the, the firmly ensconced in the wilderness years, so to speak. <laughs> but I can remember I can remember having a conversation with you. I think maybe one of the very first conversations we had about our favorite TV show. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the Virgin New Adventures. Yeah. And whether they were uh, worth reading or not. Mm-hmm. And I remember you being uh, quite dismissive of them. And I, I, I think I think perfectly, perfectly within reason, because most of them really aren't that good. But even then, you see, with like there's a there was a particular kind of fan direction that who was going in, you know. Yeah, it was certainly you know, certainly going into the generation or the direction that such television programs like Buffy the Vampire right. Slayer went right. into, or Firefly, or right, right, those types of uh, television shows of the in the U.S. rather than right. a, a return back to the early '70s or late '60s Doctor Who, you know that. Yeah. You know, even if you look at like Star Trek: The Next Generation, uh-huh. that definitely had changed quite a bit. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, what I mean, one of the things that I think is so extraordinary about about Who in general is how you know it is an unbroken line of activity. You know, all the way back to uh, 1963, and that all the different permutations that it's been through, including you know the wilderness years, um, are just you know these. These are these sort of illuminations of particular aspects of um, particular kinds of culture, and mainly British culture. But I think you know certainly um, the uh, both the intrusion of who into uh, U.S. culture in the 1980s and the kind of Matt Smith explosion um, in 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 the U.S. in the in the early 2010s. Um, it's all really interesting stuff. Yeah. And that's why that that's why he was so great. It's not just a really amazing show that that everybody should be watching because they're really great stories, um, but it really does repay the kind of you know close analysis in terms of culture. It really does. Well, you're also saying this during the wilderness, how it diverged, how we had this hardcore fandom that 
kind of took the gauntlet up and ran with the new adventures. Yeah. And then the missing adventures, you know, the whole virgin scene. Yep. Yep. And then at the, you know, before even, and then we had this brief moment of hope in 96 or at least 95 Ugh. with the television movie. And, you know, suffice to say... Which we, which we don't like that Well, much, neither of us are big fans of it, but it did allow for, Nerd. you know, RTD to make a pitch or, you know, maybe learn what not to do what if he would have exactly. even made those same uh, yeah. moves in the future or yeah. in the future when he brought it back in 2000. Yeah, 2005, wasn't it? Yeah, 2005. Well, you see, I've just been reading my um, 500th anniversary edition no the 500th a copy of um a doctor who magazine oh uh, yes uh which i just finished reading this morning um and um mm-hmm. yeah and it's actually is, is interesting reading because they they have a a supplement which kind of gives like it's the history of doctor who magazine specifically the covers and they you know they talk about that they talk about the you know the wilderness years and the and the, and the whole fan thing and you know how all the people who were you know writing the virgin novels you know ended up kind of you know lunatics lunatics taking over the asylum and i I think that's a really interesting um you know Mm -hmm. aspect of all this kind of uh uh, this kind of culture is that actually the fans do end up running the show Mm -hmm. it's true of star wars it's true of star trek the wilderness effectively allowed that to happen because you had the teenagers you know the 18 19 year olds at the time in 1989 or early 20s Mm -hmm you know, trying to keep their show alive on life support for 15 years, moving their way, some of them into the writing writing realm and to television. And, you know, RTD was able to be in the right place at the right time with the right experience and the right connections to be able to say, hey, let's bring this show back. Absolutely. And I think, again, one of the interesting things is, is that, you know, there were just a lot of really talented, incredibly talented, actual, you know, writers, TV executives, whatever, who were, you were, or had always been Doctor Who fans. I mean, I don't know whether you had similar experiences living in the U.S., but I spent a lot of the wilderness years kind of, you know, defending my love of a creaky old show um, to people, you know, and it was seen like, well, in general, it was kind of a, it was an eccentricity to like Doctor Who. Um, Well, yeah, in the U.S., it was pretty much a situation where it was forgotten, after it went off the air, after it went off a of PBS in the 80, 90, 89, 90 time frame, yeah. a few stations carried it on repeats late at night. But after that, there wasn't much. There wasn't much going on. When the TV movie came in '96, there was you know a brief flicker of hope, you know, from the diehard fans. But you know, by the time a year or two after that, it was pretty much a forgotten thing you know there was you know most fandom either had embraced the new adventures or started getting into the big finish i think which were starting to show around right around the turn of the millennia that uh but most people were either finishing up their vhs collection or (laughs) watching it through vhs or the show was forgotten and the people who were buying the vhs's were teens or kids in the 80s who had watched it on public broadcast yeah well what i now realize having lived in the states now consistently for over a decade is you know in e- i mean how niche pbs is 
as well, really. You know, I mean, if you're talking about a television audience, um, you know, oh. I mean, most people in America don't watch PBS. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. There's, and the, for, this was a geared at children. Yeah. And even, there's even a smaller subset of, you know, people who watch PBS right. who also who are watching for the kids' shows. Yeah. Because the target market would say your smart eight to 12 year old, and then maybe your teens in the 80s who are watching it, generally were not going to be watching commercial television because for whatever reason either you know their parents didn't want you know the cartoons on yeah. or G gilligan island rerun or leave it to beaver reruns on and so this show came on and at least in the uh, minneapolis twin cities area when i was watching it about five o'clock five thirty in the evening and so it was kind of a rush home from school get your homework done so you could sit down and you know, watch a half hour or an hour of your, you know, this weird, weird show, <laughs> British television show yeah. that was kind of harnessing the, the explosion or the, in the kids interest in sci-fi from Star Wars. Right. And so this kind of filled the Star Wars void that was between, um, Star Wars Empire and then Return of the Jedi. Really? You know, that this was sci-fi in the air. It was it was either this or it was classic Star Trek. Really? So you th so so the, uh, PBS were were in your opinion the PBS were kind of buying or buying the Who's from from the BBC as a kind of Star Wars substitute of some kind. Well, yeah, I think it was interesting. What built the audience is a lot of p kids who like Star Wars, right? And so you know the the types of things that were exciting for kids at the time, you know, might not have held up. So like a serial like um, Tom Baker's Underworld, yeah. which doesn't necessarily have the best uh, opinion in fandom. I love Underworld. It's one of my favorites. But it has a lot of things for a Star Wars fan, a, a young Star Wars fan to embrace, which had basically a lot of laser battles. Interesting, because of course, I mean, if you, you know, the kind of accepted wisdom about who in Britain, you know, is that Star Wars is what killed it. If you go with the, go with the Michael Grade, the Sir Michael Grade line, you know, it's like, well, there was no point in us making sci-fi because it was never going to be as, as good, and I'm using as good in inverted commas there, as, as, um, as Star Wars, which is and nonsense, think, of course. <clears throat> I think maybe that is stylistically or maybe that's you know with uh sets or costuming or whatnot but that what what was being missed is star wars is a movie franchise or was a movie franchise in the 70s and 80s mm. and there was this appetite for sci-fi type of storytelling that a kid who was into star wars there wasn't right. there wasn't a lot of things on the air. You know, there was brief brief flirtations like things with Buck Rogers yeah. or from Battlestar Galactica. Right. Those those things did not last. Yeah. And so with PBS and most PBS stations in the eighties continually played Doctor Who on a weekly basis. And so for an American, Doctor Who exposure was repeats. Well, opposed to in Britain, whereas you know you see it once, it was ongoing, and yeah. You you never really saw that episode again, and with in the states, you know you would see the complete run of Tom Baker say every over and two over years. again, right, right. That's so interesting. You, so that's why a lot of Americans really imprinted on Tom Baker. They did just, imprint. just through repetition, like baby ducklings. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is this is this is interesting because um, so uh, so things like Buck Rogers and Battlestar Galactica and did you did you have Space nineteen ninety nine over here? It may have came. I never saw it okay. over here. But those were those weren't on PBS, right? They were on um, like your network. They were style. on commercial. Yeah, okay. they were on the networks. But they were so they they'd run them, and then you know eventually the ratings would start to fall, and then they'd pull them. It was that kind of that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Because yeah, and with and with PBS, you know, ratings generally weren't they're not a problem with PBS. Weren't exactly. the driver no. as long as they could get <laughs> get people to fill their pledge breaks. <laughs> as long as people could give them money, um, because I, it's interesting thing for me because Battlestar Galactica and um, especially Buck Rogers and also my big regret Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. These are all scheduled um, opposite Who in the seventies on ITV. So I I never saw them um, because, of course, you know, you only had one TV in the house because you have a TV license Mm -hmm. and you can only afford to have one TV. No one had a Mm -hmm. no one had uh, VHS recorders because they cost like ten thousand pounds to buy. Um, (laughs) So, you know, if it was a choice of watch either watching Doctor Who or Buck Rogers, like there's no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not really contest there. So I've never really seen that show, um, and I've never really seen Battlestar Galactica, and I don't think that I've, I've lost too much there. I'm, I'm up slightly upset that I've never really saw Space 1999, because I'm a big Anderson fan, of course. A fan. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that is on a DVD. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, you can somewhere. get the full set of, of you know, Martin Landau mm-hmm. and Barbara Bain cavorting around on the moon mm-hmm. um you can you can get those on dvd um but but um no i never saw this i mean what what they did schedule and this is always in, again i think interesting in hindsight is that who was in the the winter in the in the autumn and the winter it was like kind of you know um it started as and i can always remember it starting um uh, the new series would always start roughly the same time that you went back to school after the summer holidays um but in the summer Instead of who they would show Star Trek, Kirk, Kirk and Spock, old style. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, Kirk Spock, and I always remember being. I mean, I used to enjoy Star Trek, but I always remember being thinking, "This is just, this is okay." Mm-hmm. But I just wish the Doctor Who would come back on again, because yeah. because the aliens in in Star Trek were so mm-hmm. unconvincing. Um, I felt. Um, and I think they are really, they're, I mean, they never really try that hard with aliens. I mean, you know, they spray a woman green mm-hmm. um, or spray a man brown. And like, that's an alien. That's, I think it's mainly just a proxy for other cultures on planet Earth, so to speak. Yeah. And I never really understood my kind of, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 year old self. I never understood why Star Trek didn't make a better effort with aliens. Do we know? Adam, and I'm not a Trekkie, so I don't know exactly. why Rodden, Roddenberry like, didn't do it. But it was it, it was very repetitive. But you know, it was, I mean, they have they had like they have latex in America. Like, just build a Saigon. Well, they were going for this whole space opera thing. So it, as the repetition of races, if it would be like uh, right. You know, kind of a lost opportunity in classic coup of not having the draconians return, so to speak. That is a big. That is yes. That's that's it's still, I think, a problem. They, the draconians have to come back. They never did come back. Mm-hmm. That that was that was a waste because um, that was going to be because because they were great. They were they were Klingons only better. Well, maybe Chris Chibnall is a big uh, draconian fan. I'm sure he <laughs> kind of looks like he's kind of sleek, like a kind of a fattened, a fattened draconian. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, yeah, he's a lizard, a lizard man. 
well, he did. He did bring back our the new styled Silurians. So, ugh, please let's not let, let's not currently mention those. Oh, God, so That's the point anyway. Yeah, it's a lizard. Only it's a girl lizard with with breasts, which mm-hmm. makes it a mammal, which doesn't make it a lizard. Ah, well, that's that whole platypus conundrum. So it is the platypus conundrum. That's maybe maybe that maybe that should be the name for our podcast. Probably more the platypus conundrum. Probably explains the uh, paternoster gang and whatnot. So yeah, that's true. But that's I, that's you know that it's interesting in the direction that these classic Who fans have taken the new show too. Yes. So you know, RTD turns it, you know, a plot-driven story based series into character driven high yep. emotional content yep yep you know into something for effectively uh british teenage women yeah it's a soap <laughs> opera yeah yeah exactly. it's, a, it's great it's a british soap yeah which you know revitalized the fan base because right now if the new series hadn't come back doctor who fandom would be pretty much 40 50 and 60 year old we'd be dying yeah <laughs> Um, British and American, mostly white males, mm-hmm. uh, pining over <laughs> missing episodes, or exactly, know. exactly. Well, I think what again, what's interesting there is I think a lot of the writers, um, both for this show, both for the you know for the for New Who, and um, kind of Who writers in general, have written for British soap operas and British soap operas again, as as I, I'm sure you're aware, David, but maybe our audience aren't. Um, <laughs> are so different from American soap operas that it's like, well, it's it's literally like chalk and it's a piece of chalk and then a big piece of cheese. And how how would you describe the difference, so to speak? Or what would you be what would you be comparing a British soap to well, an American drama? Well, I think this this weird this this it's I think it's interesting. So there's two, I mean, American soap operas are like they're on every day. Right, day, you're talking about the daytime, the soaps. daily ones, yeah. yeah. So there's ones, the the ones that are on every day, um, which are basically a joke. You know, they're, I mean, they're they're like they're they're not literally reading the script out, holding it in their hands, but they may as well. And I, I mean, I've never seen, I mean, I've only seen them by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, but it isn't really. It's it's more. It's more like a radio or something. Like well, a radio that's a, show. yeah. That's exactly where they came. Where from. they came and, from, yeah. And they are. Dying out now. I don't know what daytime they television are from is what like. I, from what I hear, yeah, yeah. But there's less less of an audience at home, and then with syndication and you know binge watching and the, yeah. the explosion of networks that happens, you know, yeah. over the '90s and yeah. early 2000s, that there's just watching your ABC soap or your soap on NBC, CBS. It's just not, yeah, not not getting the advertisers, and they're not attracting and the advertisers. So the series any... are being canceled. And of course, those those shows were never shown in the UK because, like, why would anyone really want to mm-hmm. see them? Um, the other, of course, American soap opera that I understand American soap operas to be is the kind of mega soaps of the of the eighties, like you know Dallas, seventies and eighties Dallas, and uh, the Colbys, which I liked a lot. Uh, what's that one that's that's in Denver? Uh, I can't Mork remember. and Mindy. Uh, <laughs> no, no, the one with the one with the, with Jeff who had those big eyebrows and. Um, uh, the Carring, Crystal Carrington, Blake Carrington, mm, all those okay. people. Anyway, that D- Dynasty, not Falcon Crest. Dynasty, okay. Dynasty. Yeah, we used to watch Dynasty okay. passionately when I was at, when I was at college. Um, which again is very different from British soap operas because um, it's about rich people, right? And so the Americans all featured very wealthy um, people who tried to do each other in, and the British yeah. British had a. I, 
more of a pub culture type feel to it almost. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, essentially, you know, British people, we don't like rich people. <laughs> um, I think it's one of the it's one of the kind of differences between British culture and American cultures. Americans are, you know, there's someone said it somewhere, I can't remember it is, that Americans are, or, uh, see themselves as temporarily inconvenienced millionaires. Um, so basically anyone, in America, anyone thinks, well, you know, I could I could be that rich person. Mm-hmm. Which explains um, our tax policy quite a bit. <laughs> there you go. When Britain, like, you know you're never going to be a rich person mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, you're not, so you hate them, and they've done they So you think that's the built, detestable. built-in detesting of the class system, so to speak. Exactly, exactly. So, so there's no, there's, there's no, there's, I mean, I don't, I can't think of a single, well, I think there's miniseries that have been British, um, I guess we do quasi-soap operas about rich people in the past, like, um, the, again, the, the purely detestable uh, Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, your weekly soaps will be about people who farm, so the people weekly, who like, live in Manchester. So em- or, Emmerdale or EastEnders. Emmerdale, EastEnders, or, of course, Coronation Street, mm-hmm. Corrie, which is the, which is the, and that's which on is the biggest ITV, one. And that's on ITV, right? That's on ITV, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, it was a huge thing in the mid-'80s. And that when, was the... When the BBC started its first soap opera, mm-hmm. which was EastEnders, which is which again still huge, mm-hmm. and of course you know diehard Who fans, who are basically the only people who are listening to this, if there's anyone at all, <laughs> um, will know that there is of course a Who um, EastEnders crossover um, in Dimensions in Time. Right, which you know on the uh, like and dislike list, I think that ranks personally below the TV movie for me. But well, <laughs> really, it's 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 on the it's and on the level of enjoyment of of. Um, of uh, time and the Rani, it's 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 at that level for me. It's similar mm-hmm. similar time. I um, mean, you can watch it as like just a piece of eighties trash, which it uh, pretty much is. Which so. it pretty much is anyway. Yeah. So where were we going with soap operas? Yeah, so I guess so. RTD, he, it was basically a soap opera in space. Yeah, so he, so you know, he and has a very, very good one. He has his background with things like uh, queer as folk, and yep. and he was also writing for one of the soaps too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he wrote for Corrie, didn't he? Didn't he write for Coronation Street? That makes sense. Yeah, I think that's so. Yeah. He de- he was he was at he was at the same college as me at at, at Oxford University. Yeah, passed by a couple of years, I think, is what you mentioned. Um, I missed him by a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I'm really. He was known as he was Stephen Russell then. Mm, okay. Because but, uh, sorry, Stephen uh, Davis. Okay. Because because apparently Russell is his middle name. Okay. His name is Stephen Russell Davis. And, oh, the T is for Tiberius, or <laughs> the T is it's for Tiberius. It doesn't actually stand for anything. <laughs> Taffy, maybe because yeah. he's Welsh. Well, see, know. he didn't like Stephen because of Green Death, so it just Stephen, Stevens, <laughs> Stevens. Ah, oh, Green Death. Now that's yeah, top, top, top five right there. Anyway, here, Stevens. The the little things on on Audacity remind me of the boss. Remind me of, of boss, the biomorphic yes. system supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there you go. And but I I think I think maybe both of you both you and I agree that I think one of the difficulties that we've had over the Moffat era is that Moffat is in, Moffat is completely incapable of writing realistic characters. He sees himself as being very, very good at plot. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have uh, a complete 180-degree turn from something that's basically character-driven to something that's entirely plot-driven and therefore actually a bit confusing. And because you don't really care about the characters, it can also be a bit alienating. But I, I even question if his plots are that cohesive. Now, well, that's why he sees himself uh, as yes, being Because they're very plot, twisty yeah. and they're in and out and they're 
have recursive properties and you know traps within within themselves but as a as a straight plot i'm not sure that he's the master plotsman that he gets credit for being i guess and i i would entirely agree with you i think that's entirely true and i think um if you don't care about the characters then you're not going to care about the plot and what's awesome about what's great about rtd is that his plots are ridiculous the daleks are dragging the no, the TARDIS drags Earth like back to where Earth came from. Mm-hmm. Um, like what? <laughs> that that makes even less sense than the Dalek invasion mm-hmm. of Earth. You know, it makes makes no sense at all. Um, but you 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 swallow mm-hmm. it because you're kind of invested in the characters. Mm-hmm. And for the stolen Earth journeys and type of story, it was all about the character reunion. It was all about the characters that RTD had assembled in his yep. tenure coming back for their time around the console so to speak absolutely and i think you know he then he was also clever enough to kind of you know call back to the dalek invasion of earth which of course is canon mm-hmm. so the daleks did invade earth in order to remove its core to replace that core with a big motor mm-hmm. so that they can drive the earth around the mm-hmm. universe to do something with that mm-hmm. um so of course so again you you actually except old who is being real who then yeah of course the daleks do stupid things mm-hmm. like that but the daleks have always done less than brilliant schemes so they're not quite as shit as the cybermen in terms of their schemes um <laughs> but they but they've always they yeah they've never quite got it together mm-hmm. uh, in well, terms of a, an actionable plan well there's you know fortunately for the doctor there really has never been a foe that has a brilliantly clever scheme that can't be undone in six to seven episodes so that is that is true that is that is definitely true but I'm, again what i'm wondering is 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 you know we you and i you know we're able to sit here and spend almost half an hour now talking about doctor who but particularly rtd and and the grand moth mm-hmm. um in particular terms um are we able to rewind our way back and talk about graham williams or philip hinchcliffe or Verity Lambert in similar terms, or are those people so canon for us and so bound up with uh, not being an adult um, that it's, it, we, we, are we, are we, I guess, you know, who was made differently back, back then? So I think that would be a very good place to end it. And whether we have sort of the sanctified yeah, the past exactly. or, you know, you can see it objectively or. Do we look at the past through nostalgic rose-colored glasses, so to speak? Maybe we do. Maybe we do. Maybe maybe there are dogs buried back in the in the in the history of who I don't know. I'm to find out. <laughs> <laughs>